0: This is Terry Beatley, your host of What If We've Been Wrong? I'm shining light into some dark places so that beauty, goodness, and truth defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's true, people are perishing for lack of knowledge, and we're instructed to have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I do on What If We've Been Wrong, rethink, explore, and uncover some hidden truths, so that more people can experience an abundant life and the joy of being set free from the shackles that hold us in prison. Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong. Alright, welcome to What If We've Been Wrong. And today I'm interviewing Kevin Burke. Uh, Kevin is a licensed social worker and he's co-founder of Rachel's Vineyard Ministries. And he's a pastoral associate at Priest for Life. Most particularly, Kevin is focused on helping men who have been affected by abortion to heal from their grief, from their pain, and from, quite frankly, their wounds. And so recently, he published a book called Tears of the Fisherman, Recovery for Men Wounded by Abortion. So, Kevin Burke, welcome onto the show today.
1: Terry, it's wonderful to be with you and your listeners. Thank you.
0: Well, I'm glad you could be on. Kevin, you know, this is just going to be an organic kind of conversation. I don't have a list of 20 questions, uh, but the first one that comes to sure. my mind is, how did you get involved with this type of ministry, helping men uh, heal from, mm-hmm. from abortion pain?
1: Well, I have to blame my wife for that.
0: Okay. All right. Well, blame her. <laughs> Walk us through that.
1: <laughs> um Uh, I was, uh, you know, I graduated with a degree in social work and I was working with Catholic charities in Philadelphia and I was doing, um, I was really learning how to do (laughs) uh, marriage and family counseling. And I was also supervising some other workers who were doing pregnancy care services. And uh, Teresa was finishing her graduate training uh, at a local university here. So, you know, if you're in graduate school for counseling or social work or that kind of thing. An important part of your education is an internship where you get, you know, real on, you know, grassroots, uh, frontline experience in your field, and that really helps you to in that process of, you know, taking theory and applying it in real life, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, one of her internships is at a well known international uh, eating disorder clinic here in the Philadelphia area, and she, one of the uh, nights in her group and now keep in mind in a group like this you know you're you want to get at what's eating at you that you're dealing with your you know what emotions or pain or trauma in your past or in the present uh leads you to deal with your your uh, your pain and anxiety by uh you know purging or vomiting or using laxatives or the various behaviors that accompany eating disorders and so you know they talk about anything right Mm-hmm. So one subject, one evening, the subject of abortion came up in the group. And, uh, you know, it, it it turned out to be like a bomb going off. You know, it turns out that, uh, you know, a, a vast majority of the group had experienced abortion. And there was a v- variety of responses. Some wanted nothing to do with talking about it. They wanted to avoid it. Uh, others, uh, it was a very reactive, emotionally reactive topic. And there was cursing and some feminist rhetoric about, you know, uh you know directed against men because in this particular situation how the issue came up was that a a woman was sharing that she was involved uh, she had a child young child she was involved in a relationship with a guy and there was an unplanned pregnancy and she had an abortion, but she uh, did it against his wishes. He did not want the abortion to take place. And so he was very, very angry about that, which is quite understandable. Yet he dealt with his rage and anger in a very destructive way. He would, was calling her on the phone and calling her a killer and saying these very mean things to her. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this was upsetting her very deeply. And she shared that with the group. So there was you know a lot of responses around that, um, again, from avoidance to reactivity. And, and Teresa felt really over, overwhelmed with how to respond to it as the group came to a close that evening. And uh, she went to the psychiatrist who supervised her placement, her student placement, and she said, look, this is what happened, and I feel like I'm, I need to go back and, and you know, re-explore and, and give folks an opportunity to talk about this, because it was clearly a very sensitive issue, and maybe, you know, it could in some ways contribute to some of their symptoms. Keep in mind, she wasn't coming at this as someone who was involved for many years in abortion recovery work. She was not. Uh, she wasn't even coming from a pro life perspective she was simply coming as a as a you know a, a counselor in training wanting to reach out to these women right. and, this, this, and
0: she saw how hot the topic was all the different emotions in the room yep. and, re- and so how old was teresa then were we talking like in her early 20s
1: she would have been in her mid 20s okay. probably Okay. We might, might at this point we might have had her first child, mm-hmm. and, and the, psych, the response of her supervisor, who again is a psych, was a psychiatrist at the center, is really important. And I know it'll come as no surprise to you, Terry, but he said to her, uh, "You are forbidden to address the topic of abortion. This is an eating disorder group. It has nothing to do with their symptoms. Maybe they need your medication adjusted. And the symptoms after abortion are often a kind of a form of self medication for the right. for the people." grief. So now, if you know, Teresa, once he shut her down like that, she, she was going to make that her life's, effort, her, life, <laughs> her life's vocation, you know, and it's, it's fascinating. Whenever I tell the story, it always, it's always fascinating to me spiritually, because th- this psychiatrist who was trying to shut her down and shut down the issue of abortion, truth being revealed, helping these women heal, he was actually instrumental in Teresa then realizing i need to find a a group treatment model mm-hmm. that can help women who have had an abortion experience mm-hmm. and that really propelled her into that work and then she realized as she developed uh, as she began to explore this issue with counsel women and start groups she realized she had to have a spiritual component to that uh, to that process and so she developed the weekend over time, it became the weekend healing model of Rachel's Vineyard it begins on Friday, ends on Sunday, and it's firmly grounded in both powerful uh, Christian spiritual uh, scripture and activities, as well as really sound psychological practices that uh, have proven over time to be very effective at helping to resolve abortion trauma.
0: Was, was it solely focused on women's healing back then? Were, were the men not a component of that healing part?
1: initially it would have been women attending
0: yeah okay all right and so how did you discover that wait a minute it's not just the women grieving it's also the men how did that happen
1: well, I, I think, again, this is where Teresa really was a pioneer in this work. It's very early on, mm-hmm. she realized that uh, through the hearing abortion stories and working closely with women and couples and families who had abortion laws, she was beginning to see that women, uh, men would also really benefit from this process. So uh, not, not too long into the uh, weekend retreat programs being offered on a regular basis, we started seeing men come forward. Now, initially, they came usually uh with their partner or their spouse and uh and they may or may not have had an abortion in their history regardless uh they uh were they were impacted by their partner's abortion Mm -hmm. and um and that's really how i got exposed to this as i was um, you know i went to learn as i saw this growing and 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 i realized that something really powerful was happening here Mm -hmm. i wanted to learn about it and i went on one of the weekends uh and 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 there was, you know, providentially there was uh, two men who were going through the program, and I was just really struck. I mean, I have to say, like a lot of folks, I had no idea.
0: Right. Well, I'm can not, can you walk us through? Uh, well, first off, before we actually walk through, what does a Rachel's Vineyard weekend look like? What what are some of the post-abortion, uh, post abortion post post abortion symptoms? The emotions. What what how does it manifest? Let's maybe first start there before we get into what does it look like the healing process.
1: Sure. Well, you know, some of that'll be um, closely related to the circumstances of the abortion. You know, for example, if um, you know, women who seem to experience the most traumatic reaction to an abortion experience, and men as well, but women who uh, feel a sense of powerlessness at the time of the abortion, that they really don't feel they have any other option. They feel that they're, they're in different ways pushed, prodded, manipulated, exploited, and uh, end up on that abortion table. Mm-hmm. So I for mean, them,
0: and I, I just want to say here, you know, it's an it's a very invasive uh, medical procedure. I mean, we're not talking about getting a wart taken off your arm. We're talking about a very invasive surgery, right?
1: Yeah. And that's actually a very, very good point, Terry, because, you know, a lot of folks, a lot of women coming into these retreats and some men as well have previous experiences of, of abuse prior to the abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you've experienced an intimate violation physically and emotionally, let's say, you know, you were molested by an uncle, uh, you, experience, you were raped or date raped, uh, you know, you uh, uh, you experience a, a traumatic divorce experience in your family. Those ex- previous experiences of um, of trauma make you much more vulnerable. So when you have that violation of your physical and emotional integrity and that intimate experience of uh, of, uh, of the procedure, uh, it truly can be a very disturbing and uh, upsetting experience. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if that's the if if that was your abortion experience, then. You know naturally after you come out of that what are you going to try to do you're going to try to first of all get away from the whole the whole thing as, as quick as you can mm-hmm. and you're going to try to repress any painful feelings associated with it and so what what do people do when they're trying to not deal with painful emotions
0: well i guess they try to bury them somehow so what bury them in alcohol yep. and drugs and yep. how else is it manifested what yeah. How else does it manifest? And is it different for men versus women or is it about the same type of symptoms?
1: Well, for men, oftentimes when they get to the point, uh, it takes a long time for often for them to even recognize how it's injured them. Mm-hmm. But for men, they're injured in a unique way in that uh, they've their failure to, uh, to stand up and protect the child from death their participation in that child's death, oftentimes uh, moving their partner in the direction of abortion, even if she's not there yet, they're often instrumental. And non, Dr. David Reardon's research indicates that 95% of abortion decisions, the man plays a pivotal role in the woman's decision to abort. So that initial experience for him uh, and again, he he may quickly get away from this and may even be on not quite aware consciously of this But in recovery, we see that this is absolutely true and it's true with every man There is a sense of deep-seated shame and guilt mm-hmm. because they're violating something fundamental to their nature as men, regardless of the circumstances of the pregnancy
0: Right.
1: You know, of course more so in a, in a longer relationship, but regardless you're violating something fundamental to your identity as a man so there's shame and guilt associated with you know denying your your god-given uh, duty to protect that child. Mm-hmm. Later sure. men can really be also experience great shame when they understand how abortion has wound, wounds women, but sometimes right. they, they don't even get to that but that's that's kind of some of the some of the ways that men are uh, are hurt by that mm-hmm.
0: and I just feel compelled to say this right now because I'm hoping. There are many men listening to this interview right now, whether live or in its recorded podcast state, and we know there are millions of men, Kevin, who have, who have been affected by abortion. You know, the good news is that there, there is healing, and we're going to be talking about that in the next, you know, 45 minutes. So there is healing, there is hope, and so I don't want anybody to tune this off in despair, you know that, that they've just been smacked between the eyes with whoa something they did 15 years ago and then cut this off there is hope and there is healing uh, but i think first it's important you know to recognize you know what are the wounds and how so walk us through with uh well walk us through a typical if there is a typical rachel's vineyard weekend so this is first off what is rachel's vineyard and then what does the weekend look like
1: well It's really, it's really, and I'm glad you said that because, you know, I wouldn't be in this work for so many years if it was such a, um, you know, such a, just being at the crucifixion, you know? Right. (laughs) It's very much a ministry of of, of reconciliation and resurrection and joy. Yes. Uh, So, uh, but, you know, uh, the Rachel's Vineyard Weekend, it's really, um, it's really an amazing process. In fact, I just served as, as a counselor on the retreat team in Doylestown at Our Lady. Of Chestahova Shrine, and we have we just had a weekend of uh, of healing, and so it begins on Friday evening. And the important aspect of Friday is really establishing a sense of group safety because people are coming in, oftentimes just not having dealt with this for many years, and just reaching a point in their lives where they just, for various reasons, feel called to deal with it and, and bring it, uh, bring it to find it, see if there's some way they can find peace, and so they come in oftentimes very scared. Um, Sometimes angry, just and a lot of pain starts surfacing. So the first thing we do is, is uh, Teresa has developed some really beautiful living scripture exercises that are used throughout the retreat. And these exercises, you, you really enter into the scripture story. So for instance, there's the uh, women caught in adultery. And men also connect with the story. Well,
0: can I cut in here, Kevin, just for a second? I'm trying to imagine these people coming in. And I'm I'm not imagining you know ten people walking in the door and they're hop skipping and jumping. I'm picturing people walking in with their heads hung down to a certain degree and just feeling scared, intimidated. Um, but maybe before we get into the 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 uh you know the the scripture stories that how it parallels. Are, are these people like joyful that they're there at Rachel's Vineyard, or are people coming with a grudge or a chip on their shoulder, or men being dragged in? I mean, give, give us kind of a real a real life picture of what this thing is like.
1: Well, the beauty of this ministry is that you know weeks prior to the retreat, they're connecting with either team members or the retreat team leader. Often, many of these folks have also experienced abortion and, and have been through recovery programs at a very good, solid place, and so they're they're actually connecting already with people that when they come to the retreat, they see them. They have that person they've connected with mm-hmm. that's helped them, you know, get to that point and have, make that courageous step to get help. So they're not coming in, you know, just out of the off the street. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the first helpful point. The second is they're greeted when they come into the parking lot. We help them get their stuff situated. They come into a common room where there's food all ready for them. They get a night. Nice, we have a nice meal together, and so there's a ways that we very from the very beginning they experience the love and care of the church of the Christian community.
0: That's beautiful. So from yeah. the moment they drive into the parking lot, there's somebody there. So you're really not letting anybody experience that aloneness, where the enemy is going to sit on their shoulder and say, "You don't want to go in there. You don't want to do that." nope, you know, you're going to be embarrassed, or you know it's going to be too emotional. You know, I can imagine all the ways the enemy tries to keep people from going to a Rachel's Vineyard uh, healing weekend, uh, the retreat. Um, we're winding down right now. I want everybody who's listening to stay tuned because we're going to get into some amazing scripture and how Jesus gives us the example of, of what we need to do to be able to be healed. Because uh, I look at this, Kevin, as... We have a nation of hurting, grieving people. I mean, because there are 60 million children thereabout who have been aborted since 1973. And no matter how people try to stuff this, cover it up, become pro abortion activists or what have you, it is against what God writes on our heart. You know, He writes on our heart what is truth, what is beauty, what is goodness. So stay tuned and we'll be right back.
2: Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep, but it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older, until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multi system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount, or call 844-869-9958.
0: In your book called Tears of the Fisherman, Recovery for Men Wounded by Abortion, you've backed up this healing process with such rich scripture. And the way you open chapter one, sort of walk us through that, you know, this going back and studying how, how Jesus called Peter out of the boat to come walk on the water and experience life in Christ and to also show him his weaknesses. Walk us through that, Kevin.
1: Sure. I, I just, I find Peter to be such a, a, an ongoing source of consolation as a man, you know, <laughs> uh, his, his, his experience. But, you know, I, I often think uh, Peter gets a bad rap uh, because... Well, you know what, the, what
0: strikes me, though? When first, explain who Peter was, because maybe not everybody listening even oh. knows who Peter is. So start, who was sure. he? What were some of his weaknesses, whatever? And then we'll tie it in sure. with this abortion issue.
1: Well, you know, Peter was, you know, along with Paul, of course, was one of They were, the, you know, the pillars of the early church. And, and, and Jesus... You know, publicly identified Peter as being, you know, the foundation of, of the of the uh, developing of his what would be his Christian community, his church, and um, you know, he, he called him to this. He gave him the great honor of calling him to be, you know, his right hand man in a sense, uh, the right hand man of the king. You know, a great, a very a strong, a position of great authority and, and 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 great honor and respect. At the same time, you see in Scripture. Reflected at the times, Peter really struggled with his own weakness, and sometimes, you know, over taking uh, over confidence in his own strength and not relying on the strength of Jesus. And we see this reflected in so many stories. Uh, you know, you mentioned the walking in the water, and it's beautiful because he calls Peter in trust to walk out in faith, and he he wants to do that, like like just like men who have had abortions. Oftentimes, you know. Most of the the majority of these men are good and decent men who, at a particular time in their life, out of fear or weakness, uh, selfishness, perhaps, made a decision that resulted in the death of their unborn child or perhaps unborn children if they were multiple abortion decisions. But, you know, these are not men who necessarily day-to-day life are are bad people. They want to be good men. They want to do the right thing. They want to be strong and good fathers and husbands. And Peter wanted to be the man that Jesus was calling him to but when he went out onto the water he lost sight of Jesus if he would have kept his sight on Jesus he would have met him on the water and got back in the boat but he but like most of us he got afraid and he looked down it's almost like looking down he would have seen his sins he would have seen his the, his, the past areas of shame and grief and guilt in his life and maybe that would have sucked him down into the water instead of keeping his eyes on Christ mm-hmm. um, and so that's that imagery of 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 the water. And we see that again, uh, we see Jesus, um, you know, his love for Peter at the at the Last Supper, uh, when he's 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 trying to prepare Jesus for the fact that when Peter sees Jesus powerless, arrested, being spit on, beaten by the temple guards, facing the horrific torture of crucifixion, Mm -hmm. he was trying to prepare him that, look, this is going to be a time of testing for you. And you're going to for a time be tempted to turn away from me, and when he said this, it, it was such a, it was such a shameful experience for Peter to be called out in front of the other apostles, and told that he's going to for a time lose his faith.
0: When Jesus told him, "You're going to uh, break down and and cry, you're going to break and weep," Christ yeah. to Peter, yeah.
1: And what man wants to how many what man wants to face that i mean that's that, most men view that experience as a very humiliating and and more even a more feminine experience that's not being strong that's not being a man
0: but, but peter it, becomes the leader of what changes the entire world the christian church i guess one of the learning lessons in this bible story is that god wants us in our brokenness he can use us in our brokenness and he wants us healed but he can yes. use us. It's not like we're so bad that we cannot be redeemed, right?
1: Exactly right. Peter's rejection, which of course the Lord didn't want him to go through that, but he respected the free will of Peter and realized that weakness of Peter was going to manifest during that time of great crisis and trauma, just like we can during unplanned pregnancy situations and the fear. And anxiety make really bad decisions and not protect the one entrusted to us. Just like Jesus, just like Peter, pledged to give his life for Jesus, and, and he did not mm-hmm. at that time of weakness. But uh-huh. Jesus used that, the humility that came from that experience, to make him after his resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit an even stronger uh, leader. Because he needed to form him to be the leader he needed him to be. And that's the hopeful message to men who have had abortions, that the Lord will take that wound like he did for Peter, and he'll make you a stronger disciple, stronger father, husband, Mm -hmm. stronger in the workplace as well.
0: Now I'm just curious here. I'm looking in your book, and and you said, however, Jesus also saw, saw those areas of Peter's heart and soul that would require a painful infusion of humility to soften his pride, and allow him to honestly face his weaknesses, fear, and mistrust. Do you think it's harder for men to face those things? Because th- these are real tender spots. You know, we're talking about pride. You know, we live in a world where, you know, the big message today is, you know, pride. We're supposed to be prideful. Well, of course, you and I know, well, no, you're not supposed to be prideful. And a lot of other people know you're not supposed to be prideful, but that's the constant messaging. Is it harder for men? To deal with pride, humility, and facing their weaknesses than women, do you think?
1: I think it, I think it is more challenging because I think the vulnerability that's necessary to take those steps out into healing. Um, you know, we're, we're trained. We're, you know, we're, we're given the messages as we as we grow up, and as as reformed as men. And this is not always bad. But sometimes, you know, you got to suck it up. You got to be strong. You got to you got to you to know, face the challenges. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. All that's true in certain circumstances. Sometimes you need to put aside your emotions and feelings, and you just need to deal with the crisis before you, Uh, the situation, the challenge that you you need to go through. That's part of being formed as a man, and that's a good thing, that's a strength we have as men. Mm -hmm. But But sometimes we need to experience the vulnerability that leads us to the humility that leads us to a deeper strengthening on levels of spirit and heart uh, that the Lord may be calling us to, and certainly that abortion wounds us in ways that humility is the only path to recovery.
0: And so, a I, 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 blessing, right. I'm picturing a lot of men who who have not been healed. I mean, their way of masking their own personal pain, whether they even know what the root of their pain is. I mean, they cover it with their machoism and maybe the hookup culture. You know, how many women can they go to bed with or whatever, whatever the different ways. But walk us through maybe one of your, I don't know, I'm sure you have so many awesome stories of men being you know, so hurt and then being being able to you know, be vulnerable at Rachel's Vineyard and then healing and then living the fullness in life. Can you walk us through maybe one or two of your favorite stories of people who...
1: Sure. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll share one because I think it's indicative of a lot of guys who have particularly painful post-abortion experiences mm-hmm. uh, that lead them into really bad places. So um, thinking of a particular guy who um, was a, a, from a family that experienced divorce, the loss of his father uh, to divorce. And of course, he saw his father again, but he lost the presence of his father in the home. And this was really devastating to this young fellow at age seven. Um you know, he, when his mother remarried, he never had a, a close relationship with the stepfather. And the mother, in a sense, at times seemed to re, uh, kind of, who, who looked exactly like his dad at times, she seemed to, she was very loving, but kind of cold at times, I think, because she was injured by her, her first marriage. So he goes into adolescence, he starts trying to seek, uh, you know, a, a connection and, and love, and you know, but like many folks, through getting involved sexually. Uh, he uh, gets involved in an unplanned pregnancy, and, uh, he, he, uh, gets, and he gets in he becomes a, he's a, let me let me state also that he's a perfectionist. One of the ways he dealt with the loss of control over his life in that divorced family was to become more perfectionistic and try to have control in the areas of his life as he could. So when he got into this unplanned pregnancy and at that time uh, he was engaged to be married to this young woman, uh, the way he tried to get control and, and the perfectionism crept up is that, wait a minute, I can't. Have this pregnancy yet? I don't have everything in place financially. I don't want to be embarrass us by telling our our folks that we have a we're pregnant. We're not married, mm-hmm. and so uh, he he uh, convinced his partner, his fiance, that abortion was the best option. And this, uh, you know, he used rational, reasonable. Man, manly ways that oh well we're not ready for this it's it's not fair to our child to any child we bring into this world to 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 bring them into now while we're you know blah 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 and so you know all the reasons that people uh, rationalizations people use right. they had the right. they had the abortion mm-hmm. well of course she's wounded by that abortion but they don't talk and this is this is key so many stories they never talked about it ever after that day yet it was that child was there of course it was there all the time, but they couldn't acknowledge it, but they, so they acted out in various ways. He acted out.
0: It's almost like that 10 ton, whatever elephant in the room. It's always there. You can't get away from it because again, it's written on man's heart, you know? So there's no way anybody can morph abortion into anything that's good or beautiful or truthful. You know, It just goes against what's written on our heart, but go ahead, continue.
1: Yeah, no, you, you, exactly right. It's written in the heart, and it's, the heart is the place where the, in, the parental heart is where the injury takes place. But, you know, when you have that previous, we talked about abuse previously, when you have previous trauma and loss, such as divorce uh, as a young a young man, there's this complicated thing that happens. And I saw it also working uh, in Rachel's Vineyard in a prison environment, where there's a lot of father abuse, neglect and rejection and abandonment among the men I, I was dealing with. When you experience that, emotional loss as a child even a sense of being emotionally aborted you know you had this family and then there's this emotional abortion or emotional pain rejection that you experience as a child and then you participate in the rejection of your child as a father you have this complicated experience of being both perpetrator and victim
0: i have never thought about it from that perspective and you know it, now we live in a country where what is it like 50 percent of marriages end up in divorce? Wow.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and and when there's not divorce, there's often some sort of there's often a, a experience of molestation, or uh, a physical or emotional abuse, or, or sometimes the worst abuse a man can ex- a young boy can experience is a father not affirming or acknowledging him. Mm-hmm. So you bring that into the abortion experience, and you have a very complicated emotional soup that, uh, you know, it comes forth. And, uh, and so, you, you know, men act out on that, and they act out on it by becoming workaholics, by looking at pornography, uh, by drinking, by having, you know, affairs, uh, by sabotaging their life, you know, deep down, they know that they are, they were the, the victim has become perpetrator, and they punish themselves, or they, they, uh, they lash out in anger at their partners or wives. And, and, and try to make them feel like they're crazy and, and they're, the, they're the problem. And when they, in fact, are the ones that have the very serious grief and pain they're not dealing with. So there's very various ways that even in cases where a man fits that scenario is not necessarily acting out in ways that are destructive. There's still that deep-seated shame and guilt that's probably leading him to be more distant in his relationships and not as intimately involved in his role as parent and husband and father and certainly not in where he's called in his church community to be leader and a spiritual leader in his family he's compromised there because of the abortion often Mm
0: -hmm. well finish walking us through you were telling us about the this young man and who goes through rachel's vineyard does he is he able to see redemption and healing and experience this whole reconciliation
1: well this is what's so beautiful about this this how the lord uses this wound like he used the crucifixion And and my chapter in my book, Tears of the Fisherman on Prison Ministry, also reflects this really powerfully. The experience of abortion recovery for men and women is reconnecting in love as the mother or father of that unique child or children that were aborted. Developing a spiritual relationship with that child. And this is an experiential process that Holy Spirit facilitates. It's, it might sound a little weird to people who haven't ventured into this yet, but when you come out on the other end of it, you realize the truth that you never, you were never not the parent of that child and you can re- reconnect in a spiritual relationship in this life with the hope of eternal uh, reunion in the afterlife. And that's such a healing experience. But that not only heals your relationship with that child, it also provides an opportunity for you to be healed in some of those areas of loss. Some people have not only honored their unborn child at an abortion at, at a Rachel's Green retreat, they also have honored the child, their childhood loss in that process. So that 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 healing experience reaches out and begins to touch other areas of life, uh, and and it's very beautiful to see that um, that process and, the, and 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 the peace I mean, people complete that weekend retreat. There is oftentimes an ongoing work that needs to happen in our life of spiritual and emotional recovery, but you see something has changed in them on a very deep level, spiritually and emotionally and in their heart. And it's a wonderful, joyful thing on Sunday, even, what, even though there's grief because they, they are acknowledging and, and honoring their children on that day, but it's a healthy grief.
0: And that, that's a big difference between just grief and then a healthy grief. I mean, because you're helping them walk through um, the pain and the suffering, but only to be able to experience the healing that has to take place. So it's my understanding that a lot of people have, uh, you know, whether they've thought about their aborted child or children or not. I mean, have many of them named the children? I, I think that's what I was trying to swing over to. Which may mm-hmm. sound odd to a lot of people, but but it's part of their humanity is to be given a name. So is this one of the things that happens? And how do people respond to that, the moms and dads?
1: Sure. Uh, sometimes that that might occur prior to the uh, to the retreat weekend if they've had a, you know a, a spiritual direction of some sort where they've kind of done some preliminary steps. But um, oftentimes. It's something that happens on the retreat as they because the process allows you to first access your painful emotions safely Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a part of the retreat where you tell your abortion story in the context of your life So there's a lot of preparation that takes place spiritually and emotionally that gets you Open that allows your heart to heal to the point where it's open to the reality of that child's life So there's a natural process that gets you to the point on Saturday afternoon and early evening where you're going through some really beautiful exercises involving candles and water from the well of Jacob and and the child is named in that process and there's a meditation where you're your child with the Lord and uh, it's all of earlier really, uh, quite and I have to you know really credit my wife Teresa and inspired by the Holy Spirit developing this very beautiful process.
0: And, but your experience, though, men going through this, because I, I don't want any man to think, oh, that's just a girly girl thing to do. <laughs> well, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, some of these retreats are 100% men, right? The women are not there. I mean, they're in a safe environment with just men. Is this right?
1: Well, the, the uh, it will vary. Uh, the majority of the Rachel's Vineyard retreats will be a, a mixed women and men. And, okay. of course, there'll be... They'll be lodged in situations where they have their own, they have their own, uh, their own lodging and their own, uh, their mm-hmm. own privacy, of course. But uh, there are there are groups that are just men. For instance, the one that's offered in in, in, uh, for, in the prison ministries in Florida, for instance, but the, uh, they would be all male groups.
0: Right. Okay. And with that idea, we're going to stop right here, take a break, and then we're coming back, and we're going to talk about Rachel's Vineyard and what's going on. down in Florida, and perhaps other locations as far as I know, uh, with men behind bars, and what Kevin as well as some other uh, folks realized that the men behind bars have something in common, and it's called abortion, and we'll be right back.
1: Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio.
0: All right, you're back with Terry Beatley and Kevin Burke. And we were just segueing over into a conversation about what men behind bars have in common. So many of them are fathers of aborted children. Uh, Kevin, explain how you and some other folks stumbled into this information and what's going on as far as uh, so the the healing, the healing that's taking place in prisons across America.
1: Sure. Well, Donna Gardner, a therapist, was um, involved with, for many years with Rachel's Vineyard Ministries, and um, she was working with the Diocese of West Palm Beach, and she approached the uh, deacons there who were doing prison ministry and, and said, you know what? You know, I'm seeing on the rituals video retreats that men are also really deeply impacted by their experience of abortion loss. I wonder if this is something that you might want to think about introducing in the prison. And of course, this guy, this guy, this deacon, he's a grizzled veteran of prison ministry. So you can imagine the stuff that he sees and deals with. He knows what these guys have, are coming in with, the lives, their lives leading up to the criminal activity, etc. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like you know, well, I don't know. You know, we're dealing with a lot of other stuff. I mean, I, I don't you know, really know if this is something we, we really can focus on. He said, but, you know, but to his credit, he, he went away from his meeting with her. And, and again, the Holy Spirit being involved here as well. He started thinking about it. And he says, all right, well, I'll go to my two chapel services in the two prisons that I maximum security prisons. Keep in mind, these guys are in for murder, uh, you know, sexual assault drugs, stuff, you know, like, you know, all kinds of serious crimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes to two chapel services and there's, you know, it's roughly between the two uh, services, maybe a hundred guys. And he just said, he just does this anonymous poll using, you know, some bits of paper and says, you know, I just want to know, were you involved in an abortion at some point, And do you think it's had a negative impact on your life? Uh, well, it turns out that 90% of the men responded, uh, yes. Ninety percent. Ninety percent.
0: That's incredible. Ninety yeah. percent. Because, of course, right now I'm thinking, oh, you know, people want abortion to remain legal and all this. Well, little do they know that it's a precursor to ending up behind bars. So walk us through this.
1: Well, in fairness, I'd have to say that uh, that is the there are. I did come across situa- a situation where it was actually the key event. It's often a it's often a contributing factor, along with other other uh, issues, particularly related around father rejection, abandonment and, mm-hmm. and just some of the violence and uh, chaos that you find in, in particularly in the poorer communities. But um, so, uh, yeah, you know, so he he went back to Donna and to his credit and, and they started the first, uh, you know, Rachel's Vineyard. Uh, for for male prisoners, and they adapted it, uh, you know, so that it would be in a support group format. They couldn't do a weekend retreat. Mm-hmm. So they did it over the course of 10 or 11 weeks. And they also incorporated some exercises from, um, I think, uh, Forgiven and Set Free, which is a, a wonderful Bible study. There's a couple great Bible studies for men as well. Save One, Sheila Harper's program, and Forgiven and Set Free. Uh, I think the version of that for men is called Healing a Father's Heart. Uh, so they're also great uh, you know men only support groups that i would highly recommend mm-hmm. so um you know and as they as they began this process as they began to have the men go through the program they started developing guys who came forward said so they would want to serve on team and be part of the team that leads the retreats and that's where i got involved because wow. i started I that's started,
0: exciting
1: <laughs> yeah so i started hearing about this and i said well i got to go down and go down, and check out what's going on down there. And, and, and they were kind enough, I went into the prison and I interviewed a number of prisoners who had been through the program. And they were the ones that taught, taught me. And when you read that chapter in my book, uh, that's, that's, that's what I learned from them. I, and I went in there, not really sure how abortion fit into their, to their, their situation. Mm-hmm. Walk well, 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 us and
0: through them. some of their stories. I mean, you tell the story about John, Harry, and Ed. Let's talk about yeah. you know, at least a couple of these guys.
1: Gosh, these guys, you know, this blew my mind, you know. So, uh, well, I'm thinking particularly of E.J. because E.J.'s really he is an amazing story. He was actually featured in a recent article. Um, He was uh, he's a guy who experienced father rejection um, and he compensated for that by kind of uh, becoming kind of macho and uh, and he was involved in an abortion abortion decision uh where he really abandoned her at the time of the abortion didn't didn't uh, try to talk her out of it and he started after that he just became and this is not uncommon for some men and you know they're prone to this but he started acting out on his painful emotional stuff by getting involved in kind of high risk activities you know mm-hmm. and, uh, and and I see this with other guys you know whether it's gambling or you know driving too fast or or, you know, getting in fights in bars or other ways that they'll act out their name. But For him, it was, he started getting pulled in with a bad crowd of guys. You know, he's living this double life or something. You know, he was gonna study psychiatry and go to school for that and was beginning the process of doing that. And uh, he, was, he was a very intelligent guy. Yet he, he had this other part of him that was going out with his friend and get involved in, and eventually in the, into what led into criminal activity. And one of the evenings, he was involved in this robbery situation with this guy. And uh, they had firearms, and it, it, everything went bad, and he ended up, uh, you know, committing murder and, and and wounding seriously another another party, and he found himself in prison, and he realized, man, you know, what the heck happened to me? And he began this process of slower process of realizing that he had to turn his life over to God initially. But then in that process of his conversion, he realized the Lord really put it on his heart that the abortion was a very important part of his story and one that was central to making him vulnerable to slide into that kind of really very negative narcissistic male behavior.
0: Well, and did he know this before Rachel's Vineyard, or did Rachel's Vineyard make him aware that this was?
1: Well, here's the beautiful timing on that. Again, this is the Holy Spirit orchestrating this. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, the beautiful timing of this is he's in that chapel service, and the Lord had put it on his heart leading up to this wow. about the. Wow. And when he, when the, when that when every when he started seeing that other when he realized that he wasn't the only guy that, that was impacted by this. He could tell, you know, as they were doing the survey that other men and he learned later of the percentage and it confirmed for him, it gave him the strength to be able to. And then when they, then they said we're bringing a Rachel's Vineyard retreat to the prison. He was, he signed right up and then he became a leader and through his experience of recovery and reconnecting in love with his unborn child, which he understood as a daughter and he named his daughter and And developed that spiritual relationship, restored his relationship as father of that child. Um, He has become a real spiritual leader in that prison, and that's—it's a beautiful thing. We're seeing that the men who experience that, but there, these also a a common theme, as I said, in a number of these stories, Terry, is that they have wounds with their father, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure—I don't think that would surprise many folks. You know,
0: right? Well, the role of a father is so important you know, just like our Heavenly Father, but then our yep. Earthly Father, the, the, the... And, you know, I've, I've done a number of different interviews on radical feminism. You know, I interviewed Mallory Millet a, a while back and, you know, who was sister to Kate Millet, you know, the communist radical feminist who started National Organization of Women. And, mm-hmm. and they set out to destroy patriarch to destroy the man and they've done a really good job you know and because part of part of their platform was to you know try to get abortion legalized and Mm -hmm. uh and you know they wanted to push pornography and promiscuity and everything bad you know and then and then crush the american man but Mm -hmm. you know i just like to i don't think it can be said enough that fathers are so important I don't care what the law is right now about Roe v. Wade, okay, abortion's legal, a woman can go have an abortion, you know, regardless of what the father of that child thinks, I believe, Kevin, the day is coming, Roe v. Wade will be overturned, and yeah. men's role as fathers and protectors of, of their wives, their girlfriends, and their children will be restored and respected. You know? Yeah. So I just think it's so sure. sad that the, you know, the, the, this whole lie of radical feminism has stripped the man of that.
1: Yeah, and I think we, we both have, we have responsibilities as men and women for the conditions that created that. I think there are often cases where a man doesn't fulfill his responsibility to treat the women and children in his life with the respect and love and protection they deserve. And sometimes that can push women in the experience of, yeah. of, of the deception of radical feminism. So I, I, as a man, I just feel like I have to kind of Kind of add that piece to it, but you're right. Uh, at its heart, that kind of particularly communist-originated uh, feminist radical left stuff is, is really also spiritually rooted in a, ha- a hatred of God the Father. That's right. They may, they yeah. may not be aware of that, but that the, the you know Satan is nurturing that spirit, and, and it's and, and the fruit of that, of course, is is certainly one of the fruits of that is abortion.
0: Well, that's one of the things she had shared too was that you know her sister Kate hated men. From the very beginning as a young woman, it was just this deep-seated hatred. So not to pivot you know, too far but back to that <laughs> conversation, but I think it's appropriate because I'm thinking about the men in, in prisons, and plus I'm looking at your chapter, chapter 4, where, where this guy EJ said, where he writes, um, you know, however, no matter how much I prayed, no matter how much I fasted, no matter how much I sacrificed, I suffered the demons of self-doubt and pride until, you know, he, he went through the whole Rachel's Vineyard uh, healing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, oh, that's fantastic. So he's now leading. Is he still in prison?
1: He's in prison for life. And as he would tell you, if wow. he was talking to you, he would say, and I deserved, obviously deserved to be for my crimes. But, you know, there's a really cool part of his story that I didn't have. I, I only learned out l- later after the book. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's that um, there's a grandmother, the grandmother of the, one of the victims, when he was on trial, she pleaded for him not to be given the death penalty because she's she's from she has a her faith is uh, the Catholic uh, you know she's from the Catholic tradition, and she does not believe that in the death penalty, uh, uh, and so she pleaded with the judge that he would uh, that he would allow this young, young, young man to be given life imprisonment with the hope that he would at some point repent. and uh, and have a conversion and so it's very it's very beautiful that she was instrumental in him having that life sentence and that life sentence led to this uh, EJ having the opportunity to um, to have that experience of conversion and reconciliation and then as I said he uh, he really is really on a path to to sainthood I mean just his role in the prison and with other men the way he ministers to his fellow men now it's just a beautiful beautiful thing
0: I think, I think a TV show ought to be done on him. <laughs> uh, now,
1: oh, how amen. many
0: men has he helped now? So he's now, is he leading Rachel's vineyard or still outside people with
1: Rachel's He's one of the, uh, he's serving on the team. Okay. You know, there would be a counselor and there, you know, there would sure. be a priest or minister, mm-hmm. uh, Present on their team, and then also men who have experienced, who in the prison who have experienced the right. abortion loss and recovery, they would serve on the team as well. well so I, I'm
0: yeah. hoping, Kevin, right now that there's a man listening to this interview, and he he can hear this paragraph written by EJ. This is after you know he had gone through Rachel's Vineyard, and he writes, "It was a suffering joy when I came to know my heavenly daughter, Angela Grace." I had been unaware of just how callous and unfeeling I was, but through the healing received by God in the Rachel's Vineyard seminar, it allowed me to feel. That's so profound. He didn't know how to feel. And then he says, I came to know myself, my wrongs, and experience a remorse that's difficult to express adequately, painful to feel, and yet liberating to know. So he was liberated with the truth. Oh that's so beautifully written. It's, yeah. it's almost like poetry.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a, he he is a very gifted gifted man. It's beautiful to see that his gifts now being you know uh, able to serve the Lord and, and proclaim his his glory and his power to uh, redeem those areas of brokenness in our lives. So yeah.
0: Do you have any other stories of men who went through Rachel's vineyard? Um, healing perhaps not necessarily men in prison but outside of prison sure. maybe they were living in their own personal prisons you know yes. you know figuratively speaking give us one more yeah. story that that uh that you feel like is a profound story uh, from yeah. brokenness to healing
1: yes i, I and I, I, this is a very important story because it reflects the population of men who are most at risk after abortion and there's more of them than, more of them than we think and it's those men that at some level, real do not want the abortion to occur. Uh, they realize that at some level, this is their their unborn child, and that they they are connected with the truth that they need to protect that child from death. And so, those men who uh, are powerless to stop an abortion, they do not want. This is the story of one of those men. Um, he was uh, he came out of the military. He was drifting for a bit, and he but he found tremendous meaning. Uh, in his life when he met a, a woman who had a one child who was at the time a toddler, uh, they fell in love, they became sexually active, he moved in with her, he grew attached to her and her uh, little girl, uh, he was really finding his meaning, he was he was finding, you know, he was finding a rootedness and a sense of vocation as a man. Uh, in this relationship, but he had really kind of through his military experience He drifted a bit was drinking too much and he was kind of getting kind of lost and this really helped ground him he, he started working on a regular basis. He's feeling good about himself good about his life And then they have a pregnancy that occurred it was unplanned, but they were living together and loved one another, you know and for whatever reason and it's it's possible maybe she this woman had a past abortion that was feeding this anxiety, but whatever Uh, this woman decided after initially being excited with him for the pregnancy, um, then feeling like, you know what, I'm not really ready for another child at this point. And she started, you know, retreating into a pro abortion position. He was horrified. He did everything he could first gently and then forcefully, you know, not abusively in any way, but forcefully said, no, look, I will pay, you know, I'll, even if you don't want to continue relationship, I, I will take this child, I will parent this child, I'll take care of the child financially. Um, regardless, uh, she would not listen to him. And he learned actually from her sister. Uh, she called, the sister called and said, you know, I want you to know that I took her for the abortion and it's, it's over. Oh, that's
0: devastating.
1: Keep in mind, the sister is an accomplice in the abortion decision, which we haven't touched on. But there are many, many accomplices in many abortion situations. But let me stay focused on this guy. So he gets that news. He goes to a bar, drinks himself, you know, into trying to numb himself. He's out in the parking lot of the bar and he's screaming at the top of his lungs in in anger and rage and grief. Mm -hmm. Uh, the story is in the book, so I'm going to just give you the short version. He eventually finds himself with pill, a, a bunch of pills in his hand from a psychiatrist who had given him sleeping medicine to try to medicate him because he was just distraught with anxiety and depression. He was hospitalized at one point. He has the pills in his hand, and he's about to take them and kill himself. And all of a sudden, this sense of God's presence comes over him. And a sense of the light of God comes over, you know, comes into his mind and he drops the pills on the ground and he just begins to cry and weep.
0: Mm.
1: And eventually, praise be to God, he found himself in. Uh, in, in he read uh, Dr. Catherine Coyle's book on men and abortion it was very helpful to him. He found himself in, on a Rachel's Vineyard retreat uh, and he became a leader and in, in now in helping other men find healing in the Fatherhood Forever program, and that Fatherhood Forever program was incorporated into the Shockways of Abortion program of the Silent No More Awareness campaign. So that's something that's become a cornerstone of our outreach to men because of this man's healing. But, you know, maybe a man doesn't uh, take the suicide attempt, but he may be killing himself in other ways, slowly.
0: Absolutely. And that's a that's a super touching story. And it's happened to millions of men, millions of men in, in these United States. And for the few seconds we have left, Kevin, wrap this up with the analogy of Adam, Adam and Eve. And what do men need to do um, in, in terms of not doing what Adam did, but just kind of make let's make this analogy here.
1: Well, the analogy is, is the is the situation in the garden where Eve's facing not, not really a snake, but the serpent, which is Satan. She's facing a diabolical, very intelligent, cunning force. And when she's facing that temptation, Adam is silent. And, you know, of course, he needs to be between her and the serpent. Now, She has her own responsibility to reject Satan's invitation. But he should have been standing there, at least by her side. And he was not. In many abortion decisions, in uh, many abortion situations, the man is kind of like that adam in the garden the serpent's there he's tempting a couple at that time of vulnerability and they choose the apple of abortion um and a man realizes his his he failed her he did not protect her and christ of course redeems that experience and gives us another example of uh of of sacrifice and and offering his life and give and and offering us the hope of resurrection so that we can um we can be restored in those areas of brokenness where sin uh, like abortion and other sin, uh, hurts us and wounds us as men and women and mothers and fathers and husbands and wives. And, and the Lord through his blood, through his resurrection, can restore those areas of brokenness. And that's what we see beautifully manifest in Rachel's Vineyard.
0: And you're seeing it all across the country. You hold over a thousand retreats a year. and Is that globally or just in the United globally. States? Globally. Globally oh my gosh Okay, what a growing thriving beautiful ministry of healing and reconciliation um, I'm going to recommend everybody get Kevin's book Tears of the Fisherman Recovery for Men Wounded by Abortion by Kevin Burke Kevin will probably have you back on thank you for the interview and and everybody listening go to America Out Loud uh, look for this uh, link and you can find all of Kevin's information there as well as where to find the book thank you Kevin
1: oh, thank you so much Terry